Listen and receive a reading from the word of God. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us, according to your grace and mercy. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God.
It was fun having the bishop here last week, wasn't it? Yes. It's the second time, if I've got our history correct, that we've had a bishop here on campus, and the first time was the first service of this church. So kind of cool to have a bishop come back and to be with us. And I hope you enjoyed meeting him and hearing him and, and getting a sense of a real person behind a, a title and a, and a position. Uh, it was interesting to hear about the internment camp experiences of his family, that, that his mom actually ironed his socks. I don't know how many people know that about Grant, but we do. <laughs> Did you know that he's a third degree black belt in karate? Also, he didn't share that. And he also didn't share that he has three children, two daughters and a son. And one of his daughters, I think it's the, the middle child, um, played basketball for the Trojans. But more importantly, actually went into pro basketball as a, as a life for a while. Can you imagine that? I appreciated his words about high tech and high touch, and uh, we will try to be about that. We'll try to live into that, to being that Acts 2 church that, that he was talking about as we move forward. As I think about our past and our future on the heels of the, the bishop's talk last week, I think there's uh, two foundational notions for us to make sure that we recognize and embrace. One is that it is all grounded in grace. The success of the past, the promise of our future, God's extension of grace to us now, through us to our community now, the awakening to grace, the accepting and taking deep within us of God's grace and the living of a life full of grace. It is all about grace. That is what we have been about for 50 years, and that's what I think we intend to be about as we go forward. Having said that, I think it is all expressed in love. And that would be my second foundational notion, and we'll talk about this next week. But that grace is made real in the living of love in our lives. Right thinking about our theology, well, that's important. Yes, we need to have discussions and debates and learn about that kind of stuff. It's important. But Jesus came here on a mission of love. And as disciples of Christ, we follow in that mission and are to be people who are bearers of that love. So today we talk about grace and being Wesleyan as we are, we're thankful that John spent some time thinking about grace as he uh, laid the foundations for our denomination. And truthfully, we Methodists are not the only ones that have the corner on a theology of grace, right? Um, each Christian church will talk about grace, but thanks to John Wesley, we talk about grace in a particular way, and we use three words, and these are key to our understanding of how God works with us and how we experience God's unconditional love, God's 
grace. Prevenient grace, justifying grace, and sanctifying grace. Three aspects or three experiences of God's dealing with us. Poured out to us for our salvation. Poured out to us as an unmerited gift for us to be people of grace to others. This time of year is always kind of fun in the Dilch household because it, it's um, the time of year in which Debbie and I met some 40, I don't know, she was agreeing at the 9 o'clock service, 45 years. It, it seems like a lot of years. It was a Halloween party. How I got invited to her apartment with her girlfriends for a Halloween party, I don't recall any longer. But uh, as a first-year seminary student, um, it was a great opportunity to dress up and not appear to be who I was. So I, I had long hair at the time. It went down to my shoulder blade. So I, I, I put a gel or hairspray or something in it. So I was trying to look like Alice Cooper or Medusa, perhaps. And so my hair was all over the place. And I had white uh, face paint on and leotards and um, big boots and a cape. And, and that is what I looked like as I met Debbie. It was kind of a strange, kind of a strange look, but it, it, you wouldn't put it beyond the first year seminary student to, to do something like that. Yet somehow, somehow, Debbie saw through all of that noise and glimpsed uh, the real me. And maybe even she saw the me that I was to become. I think of that as prevenient grace. God loves us before we're even aware of God. Before we're even aware of all the blessings and the benefits that come from a relationship with God. God sees the real us and finds ways to draw us into a transformational relationship. When our earliest members went door to door inviting people to check out the new Methodist church, they were living embodiments of prevenient grace. They were going before, right? and drawing people into an awareness, a relationship with God in this place. When you bring your neighbors on your elbow to worship, you are a grace note to those folks from God, helping them to awaken better to God. We're seeing the more that God would have for people and are helping to facilitate the connection with God to bring that more about in their lives. It's all about grace, really. The grace that goes before and the grace that is life-transforming at a particular moment. And that's the grace we call justifying grace. 
in our classical theology, we talk about Jesus dying for our sins and, and through that sacrificial death, putting us into a right relationship with God, sealed by the resurrection. We call that atonement. That's our theological doctrine for that. But unpacked into real life, well, it's the repentance of our sins and the taking of Jesus into our lives as our Lord and Savior. Now, you know you don't have any need for Jesus if your life is perfect. But if you recognize that you're a little bit or a big bit broken, well, then Jesus is for you. He's your balm. He's your justifying grace that will heal your sorry soul, release you from the chains of guilt and shame, and restore your life and its vitality. Many of us have had experiences of justifying grace in our lives, of feeling like we have been pulled back from the brink of the abyss and given a, a new life. Some of us might even use the term of, of being born again. And we remember how Jesus talked to Nicodemus just about that, saying that we all need some kind of an experience like that for our lives to thrive. For others of us, it has simply been an experience of taking our religious lessons about God and about humanity, taking them seriously, and letting God get real with us in our inner selves. We open our hearts in a fresh way to God that we knew in our heads. And we fall in love with this God. And our lives have never been the same. Whether it's been a dramatic process or a little more of a growing linear process, Justifying grace brings us into a restored relationship with God that makes all things new. For any number of reasons, people can lose their way. Sometimes it's addictions. Sometimes it's the way that we're handling our injuries or our illnesses. Sometimes it's our pride and our hubris because we're talented people, we're successful people, and we let that get in our way. Sometimes, well, sometimes it's our low self-esteem and self-abasement that we have going on in our heads. Somehow we got that inside and we keep playing that. Sometimes it's our self-absorption. We know that we're the best thing in the world for the world. And sometimes it's that we're just not paying attention 
to the beauty, the glory, the majesty of creation and the people around. What miracles this all is. Yet finally, however it is that we've disconnected from God, finally we hear Jesus knocking at the door of our hearts. And we simply crack it open a little. That's all he needs. We just crack it open a little and we invite him in. And if we're wise about this saving experience of justifying grace that comes with Jesus into our lives, if we're wise about it, we resolve that very day to keep Jesus ever and always central, the center point of our lives. Now, for 50 years, we have been helping people crack open their doors and let Jesus come in and take up residence in their lives. I think this is our mission for the next 50 years, too. Because, you know, it's all about grace. So we Methodists are keen that faith is a growing and a dynamic process. It's not a, a one-and-done type spiritual experience. We expect God to do more with us even after the wonderful experience of saving grace in our lives. And so being good Methodists, we call that sanctifying grace, God working on us over time. We are to mature in the spirit. We are to become more faithful. We are to become a more merciful person. We are to grow into that image that God has of us as his blessed child. So if you've spent any time talking to me casually, you know that I am just captivated by my grandson, Archer. <laughs> and you also know that I raised with Debbie two children. And I, I, don't know, I don't know the deal here, but I must have been so engaged in the actual work of raising those kids that I'm not so sure I actually stepped back and looked at what was going on in the larger picture of how people actually are made and grow up. But now here with my grandson, who I see for you know, a couple weeks here and then a few months through the little gizmo of the iPad and then a couple times in reality again, um, I guess there's been enough of a break from always having him around that I'm noticing that people actually grow. <laughs> People develop, don't they? He develops. And a lot of this comes from, well, the natural process that God has put inside of us humans to blossom and to become who we're supposed to be as these humans. 
But some of these steps and some of these stages, these successes and these failures, these, these gathering of capabilities into abilities and then using those abilities, well, some of that happens because of what mom and dad are doing. Or grandpa. When I was there the last time, we realized that if I threw the ball past him, like he was a baseball batter, and tried to get him to swing this way, he couldn't do it. He couldn't hit that ball. But if I lobbed the ball up like right in front of him, he could go like this. And he'd whack that ball. He'd never miss it. This way was perfect, right? So that's how we were doing baseball for those couple weeks. He works at growing. And these behaviors are learned behaviors that accumulate with him in his life that will have him become who he's supposed to be. I think this applies to our faith, to our faith practices and to our religious understandings. We grow and we mature into deeper disciples and more accomplished practitioners of the faith. And a little of this might just come from age and the accumulation of experiences, yet a lot of this comes from your intentional efforts to better understand God, to more fully connect to God, to exceed in living God's way towards others. You work at it with the help of God. And that help of God is called sanctifying grace. It's the grace that aids us to grow in holiness, to grow in righteousness, towards becoming the saintly kind of person that God would have us be. Now, some of you have been with each other for maybe five or, or 15 years. Some of you have been around since the dinosaurs, <laughs> or at least the starting of the church, right? Some of you have been around for quite a while. So I want to ask all of you, no matter how long you've been with one another, I want to ask you to think about this for a bit. Can you trace any changes in yourself as you look back upon your body of work? Have you grown up a bit? Can you say that? Have you spiritually matured some so that you're a more faithful person? You might say that about yourself. Or, or would you say you're a more devout person? Can you say you, you've become a little more of an ethical person? Can you trace some changes? A more empathetic person? Perhaps a more accepting person? Or a more loving person? If we have been about what we should be focused on in the church, 
we should notice changes in ourselves thanks to God's grace and our efforts, and we should notice changes in one another thanks to God and one another's efforts. Going on to perfection is a favorite phrase of Wesley's, and, and that kind of says for us in a phrase what this sanctifying grace process is like, the, the ideas that we're moving on towards becoming that full child of God that God wants us to be. And as Paul warns us in his writings, we are not to accept God's grace in vain. What would that be? I think that means not making much of God's grace. Just kind of putting it in your back pocket and hanging out and not doing anything with God's grace. Instead, Paul says we are to be using it for God's glory. And what would that be? But to become more and more who God intends us to be ourselves and towards one another. Helping people grow into the persons that God would have us be has been the good work of this church for 50 years. And we continue on boldly into these next 50 with that as our agenda as well. Because it's really all just about grace. Our experiencing it and our sharing it. As we look back over our marvelous history of these 50 years, we should pause and give thanks to God for what God's grace has done in our lives. What a wonder. And what God's grace has done through our lives.